Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, this is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Uh, sitting around the table with me, we have one of us absent. Pastor Tim is absent this week, um, but we're joined by Scott Slater, Dave Arnold. I'm Spencer Snow, and we are walking through the Baptist faith and message. We're continuing our um, study, walking through it. We've talked a couple of episodes about what it is, what it does. We've talked about the scriptures, what this confession of faith, this statement of what Southern Baptists believe, what it tells us about uh, the scriptures and uh, about who God is. And this week, we want to talk about what does it teach us about uh, mankind, who we are. Um, In in theology, uh, studying theology, we would call this anthropology, uh, the doctrine of of mankind. And so that's what we want to um, begin talking about uh, this week. There was a, a famous old theologian, John Calvin, who said, all of our Uh, All the knowledge that we have is either our knowledge of God or our knowledge of ourselves. And really, if you think about it, that's that's true. It's summed up in those two pieces because you can't know about God. Um, You know, whenever you know about God, then you know who you are because you're made into God's image. But then whenever you know who man is, it drives you back to a knowledge of God. So they go they go hand in hand uh, together. And so right after the doctrine of God comes teaching about who mankind is, who we are as uh, made in his image. So, yeah, guys, um, as we consider talking about talking about mankind and what the the BFM, the Baptist Faith and Message, teaches us about mankind, any initial thoughts before we kind of walk through this um, and such about the doctrine of mankind or the Baptist Faith and Message or just where we're at in the podcast right now? Kind of, I, I, nope, I think really. I think you know your opening statement about Calvin is 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 very um, uh, pertinent to this discussion because you know Calvin I think sets the sets the stage obviously the doctrine of God which is the foundation which we build everything which we already talked mm-hmm. about but that leads into well who is man correct you know? and then you know Pastor Scott alluded to that last night in his sermon Psalm eight mm. you know and Jesus being the Son of Man and how. You know, we are made lower than the angels, but his his humanity reflected, Christ's humanity reflected in that, and how we are, we are in that you know sphere, if you will, as as his creation, crown of his creation. Yeah, yeah. I think mm. it's important to recognize, and just answer the question: Why does a statement of faith need to say something about mm. what we believe about man? Mm. Right, I thought that our religion was about God. Like we need to learn about God, and we we know all kinds of things about man. Like we can look at ourselves, but the reality is, there's there's many things that uh, our view of ourselves can be pretty distorted yeah. mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of value, obviously, in going to the Bible to see what does God's word say about mankind. Mm-hmm. That if we if we were left to ourselves, would we actually think this about ourselves? You know, would we actually be able to accurately come to, would we be able to come to accurate conclusions about mankind without God's word? Right. And that's why it's important to ask the question, well, what about man? What does the Bible say about us? Mm-hmm. So so before we go into that, that's a, that's a good, before we go into what the Bible teaches us, God teaches us in his written word about who we are as, as mankind, what does, what are some competing... I mean, so we talked about the, this is, uh, this whole idea of, uh, of teaching about who man is in 
theology terms, anthropology, the, the doctrine of man, the mm-hmm. teaching about who we are as mankind. What does the, what is the, what are some competing anthropologies in the world? What are some competing ideas about who we are as people um, that we see in the world around us that would be contrasted with what the Bible actually teaches? So I, does that make sense? What, mm-hmm. what does the world teach us about who we are? Um, and how is that different from the, what the Bible teaches us? Well, I mean, I think the big one would be, you know, <clears throat> anthropology coming from a, the uh, naturalistic standpoint of evolution that we, you know, we've come from lower species and now we as a society and as a, as uh, human, uh, humanity have, have, have mm. evolved to this intellectual being um, millions and millions of years ago and coming from these little, you know, tadpoles and, yeah. you know, <laughs> smaller amphibians and so forth <laughs> and then into monkeys and so, you know, and that's, uh, you know, uh, it's a dominant worldview that's been for the last what almost a hundred years now. Yeah, Darwin. You know, what later later half yeah. of the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very materialistic worldview. Yeah. There's not really a uh, a divine creator in a special creation. It's kind of just a uh, it, it's an evolution and a progression. Progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of the world's explanation of our origins. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, you know, so they see man as in a naturalistic sense, but there's also a sense in which the world answers the question, what is man's problem, mm. in a more psychological mm-hmm. sense. They see mankind as a psychological, as a, as a being with a psychology yeah. of, yeah. you know, all of our problems can be boiled down to our psychology and issues within our brain, mm-hmm. you know, and chemical imbalances and things like that. That's how, the, that's how, that's how a naturalistic world has to answer that question. Correct. Um, and so they, what we're going to deal with the, this doctrine of man, mm-hmm. it answers two big questions. Where did man come from and what is man's problem? Mm-hmm. And then later on, we'll talk about, well, what is man's solution? Yeah. But the world answers those questions very differently. Yeah. Where did man come from and what is man's problem? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I was just listening to a podcast and the, uh, the person that was talking, who's, uh, in, involved in theology and, and, um, was talking about the enlightenment and how, you know, Descartes statement, I think therefore I am and how that was, that was so revolutionary in the sense of like basically removing the doctrine of man and the doctrine of God out of the equation and saying, you know, let's, let's resolve these issues of anthropology within our own being, you know, I think therefore I am. And that set the course for the enlightenment, this idea of dethroning God and putting on the throne man and man being a, an intellectual, um, you know, being who can arrive and achieve some kind of, uh, you know, um, status or perfection. And that led into the industrial revolution, you know, that man is a machine and we can, pro- we can have progress and all that. So it's interesting mm-hmm. how that shifted in the 1700s yeah. by these philosophers. Yeah, you're right. Definitely. There was almost like this, um, iron dome mm-hmm. put over the whole world yeah. to where God can't break through to us and we can't break through to him. Um, we can only uh, just depend on ourselves. So well, let's talk about what the Baptist faith and message teaches about man. Um, the first thing is, is that it opens up and says, man is the special creation of God made in his own image. 
So it opens up with the creation of mankind, which we read about in Genesis chapter uh, 1, beginning in verse 26, where we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So the first thing about mankind that we see is that mankind was created. Um, we did not just randomly develop or randomly appear. We were created by God. How important uh, is the doctrine of creation for us today? Is this something you think we have forgotten or underemphasized? How important is this for us? I mean, it's, it's very important. It's kind of the, the basis of God's authority, in a sense, of that we look to him as our authority because he is our creator. He's the one that we answer to in that sense. There's a lot of different ways that question could kind of yeah, go, I, I guess. Yeah, I, but, yeah go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think, I guess what I'm trying to think is, I think this idea of the whole category of creation is something that, um, because what we believe about salvation is that uh, salvation, redemption, grace doesn't destroy creation. It renews it and redeems it. It doesn't get a, so the idea that creation is good, um, because I think in sometimes in Christian thinking, we've, we've forgotten the whole, we just focus so much on redemption that we have forgotten the, the foundational aspect, or maybe we've just assumed things mm-hmm. about creation. Um, that one of the, uh, it's actually a study that the youth are about to start doing in Sunday school on the gospel. Just answering the question, what is the gospel? They're using a book by Greg, Gil- Greg Gilbert called What is the Gospel? And I always appreciated his explanation of how he goes through how you can share the gospel with somebody who has very little interaction with Christianity. And he starts at creation. He doesn't start with man. He doesn't start with Jesus even. He starts with creation because the understanding is if you don't understand that there is a God who created everything, including you, and you are answerable to that God, then the rest of the gospel doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so the doctrine of creation is it's the starting point in scripture. It's also the starting point of the gospel Mm -hmm. is that there is a God Mm -hmm. and he he created all things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he made us Specifically, he created all things, and he created them all very good, but he created us in his own image. What does it mean, if you can begin to talk, but what does it mean for God to create us in his image? Well, I think, you know, if you look at the order of creation and how God, you know, God's a very orderly God. You know, he he has a, uh, there's an order to how he created things, Genesis chapter 1, and the sixth day, is when after he created the animals, he out of the in the Hebrew word is that adama, which is the 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 mud or the clay or the from the dust of the ground. Mm. He created Adam, which mm. is which means living being or, or or man, and he breathed his his life into him, and he became a living living being. And it's it's almost as if God was waiting for you know this the final kind of the final um, 
climax, if you will, of, mm-hmm. of, the, of the narrative where it's like, now watch, watch yeah. what I'm going to do now. And right. the fact that he, you know, took the mud and he formed and fashioned a body, material, matter, and then he breathed his breath into that. Mm. He didn't do that with, you know, the solar system. You know, yeah. he didn't do that with animals. You know, he created them and he spoke it into existence, you know, the the the, the spoken authoritative word. But with Adam, mm. he, he not only used his own hands mm-hmm. and molded and fashioned him, but then he, he breathed his breath mm. of life, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what makes it so special that we are God's image bearers because he marked us and as his crown, if you will, of creation. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have a, uh, this is an exposition from the faculty of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary on the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And uh, Daniel Block says something about this in his little article that I think is helpful. He says, theologians today interpret our imageness in terms of human rationality, spirituality, intellectual freedom, relationality to God and to fellow human beings, or triunity, body, soul, and spirit. But within the biblical literary context and the ancient Near Eastern cultural context, imageness had more to do with the role played by man than with an ontological quality about man. As the images of God, man is divinely authorized to serve as his representative, not representation, and charged to function as his deputy. And so it's just getting at the idea that by giving, by making us in His image, it's all it's as if God has deputized us, mm-hmm. given us authority over His creation to to rule on on His behalf, so to speak, in that way. Yeah, I think that's very good. I think there's a there's a unique relationship that God has with uh, humanity, and the, like you said, the deputization, the authorization, um, and the blessing. Um, so we have a, a unique, because if it was simply about capability, the angels have greater capabilities than we do and powers than mm-hmm. we do, but they are not made in his image. They were not made to represent him to the earth and to represent all of creation back to God. Mm-hmm. So there's also a sense in which we are also created as, um, intermediaries, I don't know, maybe not intermediaries, mediators almost between, um, creation and God, we were made to represent creation to God in a sense, and as the culmination of creation, but also we were meant to bring the, be the instruments and the tools of God to bring about blessing from God to, to man. Um, and so what a wonderful privilege it is, a uh, gift to be made in, in his image. Mm-hmm. Another thing it talks about, however, is also is that we were created male and female. And the Baptist faith, the message explicitly says that um, without going into too many words, that's a very big deal. Um, especially today with um, confusion over gender and human sexuality and identity. Um, that is such an important thing that the scriptures, and I mean, it's almost like God knew we would need that, right? To reiterate that in Genesis chapter one, right away, that he created the male and female. And we see the bondage that actually comes to us whenever we lose sight of and suppress that truth about being made male and female. And he also emphasizes that being made male and female, being made in God's image, being made by God, we were made good. We were part of the goodness Mm -hmm. of God's creation and we were made innocent. So highlighting that whole realm of creation is being made good. Um, The goodness of creation, creation itself wasn't something that was like, uh, you know, 
uh, I think sometimes we, we neglect the goodness of this earthly created realm as it was originally uh, made by God. Um, so it's good that we're made male and female. Marriage is a good thing. Children are a good thing. Mm-hmm. The earth is a good thing. Animals are a good thing. Material is a good thing. Um, and uh, we we don't have this idea that it's all about the soul apart from the body, mm-hmm. right? It's body and soul um, uh, working together. Mm-hmm. So anything else you th- want to talk about the creation of mankind before we move to the sad reality? And I think that's really good because Gnosticism, which is this belief that's been around for a long, long time, which was dealt with, you know, John dealt with it when his day and age, um, which is the idea of the, of the body, matter is bad and evil, yeah. the spirit is good, is still alive and kicking today, yeah. you know? And the fact that God created, you know, our bodies and sexuality and, you know, be fruitful and multiply and, you know, cultivate the garden before sin came into the mm-hmm. world is evident of his, that was his plan you know and what the enemy's done is he's twisted that you know and and, mm-hmm. and now we see all the dysfunction and brokenness within sexuality within marriages within families and you know even with children you know there's this kind of almost anti-children culture you're like oh you shouldn't have too many children you know you know you should you know all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff but the fact that god created that it shows you that narcissistic ideas are still trending very yeah. much in our society, in our world today, Right, where it's like, oh, the, you know, all you got to do is get in touch with your inner self and your right. spirit, you know, your spirit person and your spirit animal, right. <laughs> all that crazy right. stuff. And yet God says, no, it is good. Tov is the Hebrew word. It is good, mm. good, you know, so mm. important. It's funny you talk about spirit animal. I was watching the USFL the other night, uh-huh. uh, not, not not last night, but recently, and some guy did a sacked the quarterback or whatever, yeah. and then he he did a little celebration, and he said that was his spirit animal. He was a shark dog. Oh my gosh! So a mixture of a shark and a dog, and that that's his <laughs> that's his spirit animal or something. Yeah. So anyway, oh he was doing well though in the game. So yeah, his go. name's Scooby Wright. He plays for the Birmingham Stallions. Scooby Wright. <laughs> Scooby what is a, his name. What a name. That's his name. What a name. <laughs> I don't know what if that's his name. real first name, but that's what he goes by. <laughs> so you talked about spirit animals and that's what came up. Yeah. Okay. So the creation of I mankind. And then um, sadly, we know the story, right? Genesis chapter three, the fall of mankind. Uh, the Baptist faith, the message says this um, by his free choice. Man sinned against God and brought sin into the human race. Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed the command of God and fell from his original innocence, whereby his posterity inherited a nature and an environment inclined toward sin. So the first thing is that is said is mankind fell willfully by his free choice. There's an old Baptist catechism uh, that says that our first parents being left to the freedom of their own will fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. So what's being affirmed there is the fact that God did not force mankind or tempt mankind to sin. Uh, There's an old phrase that mankind was made sufficient to stand, able to fall. So God gave them sufficient ability to withstand the temptation of Satan at the same time, they were able to choose the good or to choose the bad, to choose righteousness or to choose sin. And so the willfulness of our first parents sin is is highlighted here. Um, and is, is talked about why is it important to, to remind ourselves of the, the fact that it wasn't like, um, 
and I, I guess in some ways maybe I could say this way. Sometimes we are told I was, it's almost like my sin becomes something where I'm a victim. I was born this way. I couldn't help it. But what this is saying is that actually mankind's problem was not created by God. It's not God's fault. Mankind willfully ate the fruit. Mankind willfully went along with this sin. So we can't blame God. God is, uh, one of the old confessions says, God is not the author or the approver of mm-hmm. sin. He doesn't authorize it. It doesn't come from him, and he doesn't approve of it. He doesn't give the thumbs up to evil. And this is affirming that truth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's to be an image bearer of God is to have the means and the ability to make choices. And that's the difference between us and other parts of creation. You know, God created animals, and it was it was good, as he said, but we, as the crown of creation, were created in his image, which means we can make decisions, and we can make cognitive, have cognitive response, and we are, you know, there's, there's the will and the passions and desires. And, you know, I think it's C.S. Lewis that said, if you love anything, you have to set it free, meaning if, you know, true love gives the means or the ability to say, well, you you're you can make choices you know god didn't say okay i'm making my image bearers and they're going to be like like robots or you know mechanical or you know um you know like i mean yeah anyway yeah yeah you see you're exactly right i'm saying yeah no we have the we have the uh, we have the ability of volition volition yeah yeah Mm -hmm. the ability to to choose one way or the other now we're going to talk about there were effects upon the nature of of mankind, which have then consequences for the will of mankind after the fall. And we'll get to that um, really quickly here. But initially, they were created sufficient to stand, able to fall by their own free choice. But after the sin, after sinning through the temptation of Satan, as we read about in the garden, um, the sin of Adam has effects and results upon his posterity upon all of those in him. We read about this in uh, Romans chapter 5, right? Um, Scott, are you open to that? Yeah. Could you read any of those verses that you think are like probably beginning at verse 12 probably and such? Yep. Uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's kind of key to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Very good. 
And so there is a connection between what our first parents, and in particular, what Adam did and what happens to all of us. And Paul is saying there's a parallel thing that happens with what ha- what happened with Christ and what happens with all of us who believe in him. Um, now, because I, we say that's important because some people, and there has been, there have been um, what we would call heresies. Um, we think about the doctrine of Pelagianism, mm-hmm. where the idea was is Adam sinned, but every single person born into this world is basically born just as pure as Adam was. And we don't actually inherit anything bad. The only thing we inherit is simply maybe um, an imitation, a bad example in Adam. And we, we sin by imitation, or maybe it's the societal influences upon us, because the Baptist faith and message does say that we inherit an environment inclined towards sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we've got bad examples, but there's actually this denial of the fact that our hearts are born with this sin sickness as well now. Um, and, and that has big ramifications for preaching the gospel and how you understand grace. But what we're saying and what Paul is saying here in Romans five is that there is a connection because of what the first Adam did. We are all born dead in sins and trespasses. We have a nature inclined towards sin and we inherit this mm, yeah. from him. What does that nature inclined towards sin look like in practice? And um, what maybe maybe think about what if there's any scriptures that come to your mind about that describe how this works itself out um, in the lives of people. I think we can all see this, right? I've always said this. I never had to sit down and teach my children how to sin. Right. Yeah. Now, of course, they've seen bad examples in me, but I never had to sit down and tell them this is how you lie. This is how you, uh, you know mistreat your brother or your sister or whatever it, it comes naturally now uh, because their will has been uh, bent and yeah. inclined toward sin correct mm-hmm. so i mean is there anything else that comes to your guys's mind as we think about a nature inclined toward sin well i mean psalm 51 david makes it very clear mm-hmm. in iniquity you know i was conceived you know because there is this idea you know within within our christian subculture and, and within you know a lot of theological realms of like, well, children are born with a clean slate. Right. You know, it's it's as they come to age and they get older, then they become sinful, you know, and all that. And, you know, clearly Scripture teaches that, you know, Romans 5, as is, is Pastor Scott just read, but even David understood that he was conceived, the act that his of his parents' conception in sin, passing down to him as a in fertile, you know, right. in his mother's womb, he was infected with sin, and that is that has huge implications, as mm. you said, about preaching the gospel. Because mm. then, you know, semi plagiarism, which is the idea that we're born and our, you know, our passions and our desires are sinful, but our intellect, our mind, mm. is not, and then our environment begins to impact that, influence, it, and then we become quote mm. sinful or depraved, mm. and that we, you know, that's against what Scripture teaches. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, this is where our, you know, talking about this, anybody listening to this might be like, why are they talking about this? What are they doing? This seems so <laughs> nitpicky or whatever, but this is where our theology can become practical, I think, because yeah. last night, me and Alicia were watching Gold Rush on Discovery Plus, <laughs> and there was a commercial of a lady who got her degree in behavioral 
uh, uh, therapy or something like that for kids from Cincinnati University, I think. And she was it was a commercial for Cincinnati University. And she said in the commercial, there is no such thing as a bad kid. Mm. And like what she was talking about was that there is like it all has to do like the reason there's a reason they're acting the mm-hmm. way they are. Mm-hmm. It's because of their environment. It's because of some other psychological reason. Like I said at the beginning that the what is man's problem? Well, mm-hmm. our world would say it's a psychological problem. It's not your fault. It's a res- it's right. It's yeah. something it's chemicals in your body. It's not you personally. Right. It's your environment. And for her to say something like there's nothing there's no there's no such thing as a bad kid. I don't know how many kids she's actually been around. <laughs> you know? right. Does Hello. she have any? Yeah, I don't know. But uh, we would say that's not true. Mm-hmm. There is such thing as a bad kid. You mm-hmm. know, it's possible for even children to have uh, an inclination to do something wrong, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. morally wrong. Right. Not simply, it's not that they've been taught wrong. It's not that they've not been loved the way they should be. That, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, those things happen. Yeah, sure. But it's. It, it, it really is. It's something in our nature. Yeah. It naturally comes to us to want to do these mm-hmm. things. We are all born with this terminal illness yeah. called sin. Mm-hmm. And it always leads to death unless we are redeemed in Christ. Right. Um, and, and, and that, um, yeah, that, that's, it's interesting too, because I think on the one, uh, on the other side too, Scott, like what you're saying is it's sad too whenever you see people when the doctrine of sin is suppressed because it sounds like the doctrine of sin is really mean and dark. But actually what happens then is people are looking to solve a problem that they, since sin can't be the problem, well, maybe I need to change my body or maybe I need to change this about my life or change this or change this. They're trying to change tons of other things in the world now because they can't deal with the real problem, which is sin and, and just own the fact that we are all born in need of God's grace, which we'll get to. We're all born dead in trespasses in sins um, apart from God under his wrath and condemnation. And we desperately need the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the living water that we have to offer the world. Another thing that we've, we talked about, I think, a lot in the Denominations class, uh, podcast, but was that whatever you think the problem is, is then going to determine the solution. So if the problem with us is the fact that we, it's not because we have a nature inclined towards sin, it's simply the environment, or maybe it's a bad example. Well, then what Jesus comes is to give us a good example or to create a better environment. He doesn't come to cause us to be born again in salvation, which is what we're going to talk about in the next podcast. Um, So whatever you think the problem is, is going to influence what the solution has to be that Jesus uh, comes comes to, to meet. So we are born dead in sin and trespasses. We're born conceived in iniquity, um, born under condemnation. Um, And as our children grow up, now we're not saying that, uh, you know, infants necessarily are committing actual sins. Mm-hmm. I would argue they're born in a state of sin and in a state of condemnation. But then as they grow up, then they that, that sinful heart that they already are born with, they do commit actual transgressions, um, whether it be the smallest of things uh, or, or bigger sins as they continue to grow. Um, so the seed, so to speak, just grows and bears more and more fruit, um, as Jesus uses the example, are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? Um, a good tree bears good fruit, bad tree bears uh, bad fruit. And we're all bad trees by nature until the Lord Jesus uh, 
transforms us uh, by grace. So we talked about the fall of mankind, but then we see the need. And it says this in the Baptist faith and message, only, only the grace of God can bring man into his holy fellowship and enable man to fulfill the creative purpose of God. So what we see here is that idea that we talked about how salvation restores, renews creation. It doesn't eliminate it. And this is saying that God's grace comes to us and renews and restores and helps us to fulfill our original purpose in creation. Now Christ and the grace of God coming to us fulfills us to do this. Why bring this up at this point about the only the grace of God? Because we haven't started talking about it yet, have we? We'll talk about it next podcast about God's salvation. But why bring this up, do you think, about the need of mankind at this point um, I guess, what are some other solutions that people might think to mankind's problem? We've talked about some of them, but what are some other redemptions that maybe people, the world is trying to offer us? Well, I think if, if the world, like I said already, thinks the, the problem of man is, can be reduced to mere psychology, then it's going to be to change the environment of, of the person. Like, okay, like if this kid's acting bad, just get them out of that environment. Right. Or it might just be, well, if you if there's no moral standard that we can actually say that this is a behavior that is sinful, well, then what society needs to do is work to make that behavior more acceptable, mm. which, by the way, is exactly what's happening in mm-hmm. our world today. And uh, so that's you make it to where it's not bad anymore, right. in a sense. The note that I, I saw that question, I, I wrote a note down. I think part of the point of including that statement in the section on man is just to highlight the fact that the solution to man's problem cannot be found within man. Uh-huh. It, ha- it has to come from outside of man. Uh-huh. We cannot look within ourselves or to one another to fix our problem. Uh-huh. You know, like, and we tend to do that. We tend to say, like, just search deep within yourself. Go on a spiritual journey and, like, find the solution yourself. Right. Or we look to other people, like, whether that be your spouse to make you happy or your kids right. to fix your problems or your work environment or all those other things. You you can't find the solution to your mm-hmm. problem in this world. And, and many of the bad ideologies that we see in the world, whether that be something like communism or... Um, I mean, not national socialism. I think about two examples. Those are political ideologies, but both of those were attempts to solve what they interpreted as the problems of the world, which we would say we disagree, obviously, but I'm saying what actually happens oftentimes is we try to recreate Eden here. We're trying to recreate what we lost in Adam, but we're trying to create. So in communism and saying, we need to recreate this. We can find a utopia, happy place, the perfect place. Um, maybe using a, our forever home. We can create that here, uh, a perfect society and we can bring that about or however we can do that. Um, and we would say, no, we can't unless somebody comes from heaven mm-hmm. to earth and God comes to do this. We have no hope. Mm-hmm. This problem can only be met by the gospel of Christ that we're going to talk about coming up, up soon. So it, it talks, we close here lastly with the dignity and worth of mankind, because that's reiterated as well at the very end of, of the Baptist faith and message. It says this, the sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in his own image and in that Christ died for man. 
Therefore, every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. So this seems to be talking about even after the fall, mankind has an inherent worth, an inherent dignity, um, even after the fall of mankind, that's worthy of respect and Christian love. Um, thoughts on that last closing comment, or how do we do that as well? How do we live out that, that this belief um, as Christians? How do we show full dignity and worth of respect and Christian love to everybody, regardless even of whether or not they're a believer or not, right? I mean, this applies to everybody made in God's image. I mean, I think uh, one, I was going to say something that I'll, I'll come back to what you said in a minute, but I think it's interesting, Paul's statement in Romans 8, that all creation groans, is eagerly mm-hmm. waiting for, for, for Christ to come back and for the, you know, the, the, the redemption of our bodies, meaning the resurrection to come. And, and so as, as we're in these groaning phases, if you mm-hmm. will, I think it's important to learn you know, as a follower of Christ, what it means to then, where people who are groaning within, you know, and creation around us is groaning, kind of waiting. And so as we're in that, we can, we can kind of see our fellow mankind and say, you know what, uh, you know, there's, there's people who are suffering. And I think, you know, Pastor Scott mentioned about psychology, you know, and there's this overemphasis on that in the sense of like trying to fix people without the gospel, but we know that the gospel is the remedy in, in mental illness and all the emotional mm. distress that's going on. We know that Christ can do that. Now, there are good tools out there in psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, people sometimes, sometimes, sometimes people need to have... Medi- yeah, we're not, we're not denying right. the exactly. existence of mental illness. Exactly. Yeah. And people need to have the medication to help regulate their, their brains or whatever. But we can be people of compassion. Sure. In our times of suffering, I think that's kind of the idea. You look at the past, you know, you look at the the, the great plagues of, you know, like in 1666, you know, in, during the Puritan age, this plague that took place in, in London, it was the it was the believers who stayed the course and who offered mm. support and hospitality, who who did humane mm-hmm. relief, if you will. And I think doing that in a context of, you know, post Eden and before Christ returns. I think is the is the way to go is mm-hmm. the solution. If you will. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think this applies to any number of um, of facets. Of um, I mean, obviously, one of the things that comes up here: every person of every race, mm-hmm. because um, obviously we know that the the the, uh, the uh, you could put it this way: the, the complicated relationship that particularly our denomination has had in the past with racial issues, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, And we realize that actually every single society on the face of the earth has probably struggled with the sin of partiality in some form or another. Um, There are, you know, there are tribes in, in, you know, from the most primitive peoples on uh, earth tribes to the most advanced cultures, everybody has struggled with the sin of partiality Mm -hmm. of preferring one group or whether that be a racial group, an economic group or whatever it is that at its core is just going to have, that happens sadly all throughout the human race. But whenever we come back to understanding a good doctrine of creation and of who we are as made in the image of God, that reaffirms to us the need to look at everybody 
regardless of who they are, as still possessing dignity and worth of respect and of our love for them, our concern for them, um, and our compassion like you were bringing up, Dave. Um, I think that's very important mm-hmm. uh, for us because, you know, especially in our day and age where we, we see vehement disagreements yeah. and, and many of those issues are worth of discussion and to have, um, and to have obvious plain disagreements. But even as we do that, trying to remind ourselves of the personhood, the image-bearing nature of those people is so important um, in, in, all of, in all of these uh, things as we, as we live together here on planet Earth mm-hmm. till the Lord Jesus uh, returns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any, any closing thoughts you have, Scott? No? No. You guys said good things. Okay. Well... We're at 40 minutes, so that's pretty good. Um, thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to talk about the Baptist faith and message. What does it teach about salvation, how we are saved? We're going to talk about regeneration, uh, faith, repentance, justification, sanctification, and glorification, all big words. We're going to talk about what they mean, um, why they're important, and uh, what they mean for us at our church, how we practice those things, how we believe those things, what we preach about them and teach about them. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope it's encouraging. See you next week.